Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about mothers and a handful of hair. Don't be concerned over the length of this particular show. I'm not. Some topics require more quantity than others. I don't want to take a break, though. Even for a short show, I don't want to just skip it, especially because I really want to have regular, different drummer segments, if not on a weekly basis, as close as I can get. What I want to talk about today is Mother's Day. This weekend in America is when we celebrate Mother's Day, and I want to honor moms today in a couple of very different ways. One of them will be irreverent, the other one will be serious and perhaps almost nostalgic. I don't think there's very many relationships we have that are as complex as mother and child. Even from the very first days of life, a connection there is evident that lasts a lifetime really under the best set of circumstances. The reason this calls to my mind is that there are moments in time when we observe behavior that trigger memories, sort of a visual image that creates a connection of sorts. And I had that happen to me a few years ago where I was in church observing a you know, family that's some friends of ours. And at the time, their daughter was very, very young and either asleep or almost asleep in her mother's arms. And I could see how her hands were sort of wrapped around her mother's hair. And that really triggered memories for you know the many, many times that my kids, when you try to take a child away from, from your wife, you have to uh, do the whole thing about untangling the hands and, and even their mouths from hair because... That was sort of their their way of grabbing on, their way of holding on. And it's just sort of funny how some memories from observations spur other memories. And what that led to is a poem that I want to share today called A Handful of Hair. Unlike some of the other writings that I've covered on the show, this one is going to be short, and really I hope, genuinely hope, short and sweet. Here is A Handful of Hair. Perhaps they were thinking... I can hold mommy as tight as I want, here in her hair. Or, no one can take me away if I'm fully entangled. Always with a fist, and sometimes with a mouth, a child can grasp the one who most often does the carrying, hugging, embracing. You could see it in their eyes, our children, making a vow never to let go. Often enough, they were right. A baby you felt at home, loved, might grab grandma's nose grandpa's ears, or daddy's glasses. But it was always about mommy's hair. At the close of many days, I recall noticing my children's small hands, still held in a fist, clinging lovingly to a strand, or more, a handful of hair. Their little piece of you to get them through the night. Happy Mother's Day, 2006. It is the little things, often enough, that the matter most to us or that we miss later in significant ways. Things that sort of, you know, catch us off guard. Good surprises. And that's what I intended to capture with the poem, A Handful of Hair. Partly I wanted to share that with the family that sort of triggered the memory in my head, but I also wanted to give it to my wife and see if she held the same memories that I do. And, yeah, I'm happy to say she did. Many friends have shared with me in recent years their grief over the recent loss of a mother, or the absence of a mother due to issues. You can't assume that these relationships are always going to be positive, healthy, and productive. 
you know, I'm among them because in our family, we recently had one of the mothers, one of, one of our children's grandmothers pass away and it leaves holes in unexpected ways and worse, holes that can really truly never be addressed. Now, there, there are ways that we could get serious about this. I entertained the idea of approaching people and asking them to send me some audio comments or any thoughts on that, but I thought, you know what? No, I think you've got to let people kind of deal with their grief in their own way, that these things uh, need to be private or the sharing of them needs to be spontaneous in order to be genuine. So I went the other direction and said, you know what? Is there anything about mothers in my past that is uh, perhaps humorous or at least strange and ironic? And I did remember something, and I was luckily able to track it down. I think I've mentioned before that I have issues with the way radio operates. And somewhere in my file cabinet, I knew I had a list that was produced way back, uh, at least 15 years ago, of what I considered radio as it should be. And the thing that really brought that concept together is the idea that I don't think everything should be divided up by genre. Dividing things up by genre is another way of dividing us up by race, dividing us up by class, and potentially even dividing us up in even other ways, gender or even sexual orientation. To me, we ought to be listening to the best of everything. And as long as it truly is the best, even if it doesn't fit our personal standard or if it's not to our personal taste, it ought to be at least bearable. So what I did was I said, hey, let me put together as many genres as I can. And it's not that it's going to be formless or shapeless. I'll put together segments. I'll cl cluster together some things. But I don't want to do it like college radio, where you have that idea that, well, these three hours of the morning are classical, and then we're going to have two hours of jazz, and then later at night, the uh, college rock and alternative kids take over. No. Mix it up. So one of the you know blocks of music that I put together, I recalled being mixed up uh, along the ideas of mothers. And I called it, I think, this segment of five tracks, a tribute to mom, more or less. So I started it off with Pink Floyd. And if you're even just the most distant possible casual fan of Pink Floyd, and I mentioned The Wall, you're going to know where I'm heading with this. I thought, what better way to start off songs about mother than with Pink Floyd's song, Mother. Not necessarily a positive one, and that's why I mentioned this as being sort of irreverent. The next song that I put in there was is a Michael Hedges track. Michael Hedges was known at the time as being a new age guitarist. And, you know, back then, this was in the 80s, I suppose, when the song came out, um, New Age meant instrumental. It basically meant instrumental that was neither classical nor jazz nor easy listening. In other words, we don't know what to call this, but we know that it's soft, and we know that it's instrumental, and we'll call it New Age music. But Michael Hedges actually did have one vocal album and some additional vocal tracks, and his uh, first vocal album had a song on it called Woman of the World. Now, Woman of the World refers to a mother concept, more of a Mother Earth concept than an actual mother concept, but I went with it. So that's the second track. Third track is easily the strangest of this group, in my opinion. It's Sophie B. Hawkins, Carry Me. This is from her first major label album, um, Tongues and Tales. And the song deals with mothers very directly. It deals with mothers from the perspective of, of memory and longing. But it also goes in a, in a very distinctly sexual direction. And it makes it absolutely the, the wildest and strangest Mother's Day song I've got on this list. Still worth a listen, though, or I wouldn't have put it on the list. Next track is The Beatles, Lady Madonna. No need to comment there. Again, perhaps not an example of what we might think of as our earthly mother, but still. And uh, last but not least, perhaps the most ironic of them all, Suicidal Tendencies, I Saw Your Mommy. Now, I, I mention these because there's a tie-in to a Mother's Day theme. 
But I also am dead serious. This is a radio station I would listen to if, in an intentional effort to put together songs about mothers, they played Mother by Pink Floyd, Woman of the World by Michael Hedges, Carry Me by Sophie B. Hawkins, Lady Madonna by The Beatles, and I Saw Your Mommy by Suicidal Tendencies, I'd be listening to this radio station to see what in the world might come next. Okay, so that is the irreverent direction. And perhaps the poem A Handful of Hair is more serious. Uh, was there anything else serious that I wanted to say? Yeah, I really did have one more thought here about, about mothers. This is obviously the time of year when it goes without saying that if you have a relationship with a living mother, it makes sense to pick up the phone and give her a call. Uh, so it kind of goes without saying. But I think we also need to be more sensitive to another set of mothers in our midst. And I think the particular group I'm pointing toward is single parents. It makes sense for all of us to be aware and sensitive of opportunities to minister to the needs of single moms. It doesn't matter if they're widows or if they're dealing with a divorce or if their single motherhood is voluntary or any other reason. Part of this inspiration comes to me from a Christian message I heard from a pastor named David Moore. He compared the challenges faced by single mothers really in the most obvious ways. You're basically, you're on your own, you're on an island. You're trying to be both the mom and the dad, and in some cases, you've got to be the mom, the dad, the grandma, and the grandpa, because you're all that's there. You're it. And that can be a very uh, isolating feeling. When our second child was born, I turned to my wife and said, you know, we're outnumbered now. Now, mathematically, two parents, two children, wouldn't look like an outnumbered situation. And you could make a logical argument that two grown adults with a lot of life experience versus two children, the advantage would go to the adults. But I think you're wrong. I think that simply having the uh, the one parent, one child in a single parent situation can be overwhelming. So what David Moore said in his message was this. Imagine yourself on a plane flight, and the plane hasn't taken off yet, and the flight attendants are about to go through the spiel. And if you fly a lot, you know this routine so often, so well, that you probably don't even really listen to it anymore. But basically they cover how to, how to latch a seatbelt, how to undo a seatbelt, what the no smoking sign means, which is kind of ironic because it shouldn't really mean anything anymore on most plane flights. Um, it cover, she covers all those details, or he covers all those details, as a flight crew preparing for takeoff. And one of the things they say is, you know, if there's a decompression, if there's a change in cabin pressure, um, from the ceiling will come down, we might as well call airbags, sort of the airline version of airbags, that you can use to get a flow of oxygen to keep the kind of the normal level of oxygen in place if there is any issue on the flight. And here's here's the critical point. It's very important, if you're an adult traveling with a child, that you take care of your own mask first before you attempt to take care of children. That's the crucial moment that, that Pastor Moore pointed out, and it is also uh, really the crucial point for the flight attendants as well. Think about it. If you uh, have a child who's frightened and scared and who's not cooperating, not doing what they ought to, if you spend all of your energy, and if the oxygen count really is dangerously low, if you spend all your energy getting that mask on a child and you lose consciousness, the child's not going to be able to help you, despite having enough air now because of their, their air mask being properly in place. The better option is that even if the child is panicked and scared, and even if it seems a little bit cruel or a little bit uh, like your priorities are out of line, to, to cover yourself first, it's really important that you do cover yourself first. Because if you've got the right oxygen flowing, if your head is clear, if you're conscious, if you're thinking clearly, there's a lot you can do, even if a child has, has passed out in panic or in fear, or even due to loss of oxygen. 
you have equipped yourself to be able to help the person next to you. So it's so important, and this is the message, especially a message for single moms. It is so important that you take care of yourself so that you are equipped to take care of others. And to the broader group, to the rest of us, how can we help single parents accomplish this task? Anything that we can do, and it's not whatever we think needs done. It's whatever a single parent in our midst is willing to let us do. I mean, you've got to keep people inside their comfort zone. So people, on the one hand, need to be willing to accept help from others. And that's kind of the message I'm giving to single parents. But for the rest of us, once once we've got people who are willing to accept our help, we need to be willing to help them the way they need it. They may not need a mom's day out. What they may need is somebody to, to, to give them and their child a lift. They may need somebody to help with a, an automobile repair situation or you know, an extra driver to help get shuffle kids to two different directions at the same time. Or what they may actually want is, you know, just a babysitter. Something as simple as a mom's day out. So perhaps the best gift that any one of us could give to a single mom this particular Mother's Day is to do our part to help be that air mask for them. Help do things that we can do that are simple for us, most likely, that will equip them to be stronger and better, to to have themselves taken care of first so that they then can be um, more, you know, more able to be both mom and dad at the same time all the rest of the days of all the week, which is pretty much how it works. If you like food and talking about food, then why not listen to Crimes Against Food with Mia Steele and me, Gloria Lind. You can find us on simplysyndicated.com or download through iTunes. Our different drummer today is Corey Tenboom. She never had children of her own, but in a sense, it's not unlike the argument made in the movie Schindler's List, she is the mother of many. I don't refer specifically to the descendants of multiple Jews coming from a decision to help shelter their, their forefathers in the Netherlands. More, I'm referring to her particular ministry of reconciliation. The first edition I ever saw of the book The Hiding Place, a book that relates the story of the Ten Boon family's decision to shelter uh, Jewish people from Nazi occupation, and eventually how that led them to being dragged off to concentration camps, and in the case of Corey, surviving it, but surviving it only after watching her sister Betsy die. The first edition I saw goes probably all the way back to my elementary school's library, and the first couple pages had, where you often see acknowledgments today, had a quotation page, and as I recall, this quotation didn't have attribution, so I don't know who I'm quoting. I don't believe that it's Corey Tenboom, and when I share the quote with you, you may know that this may be one of those quotations that is beyond our ability to provide an attribution for. It's just so common. But, you know, here, here's the quote that I saw. Memory is not the key to the past. It is the key to the future. Again, I don't know who that quote belongs to, and in some ways it is not unlike the old saying that those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. But I find it to be more personal than that, because it's talking about memory. And when I think about memory, I think about myself. So for that reason alone, by taking it and internalizing it, I find it to be more profound. Memory is not the key to the past. It is the key to the future. For me, the most profound part of the hiding place is not the Schindler comparison that you might be able to make, you know, sheltering and saving Jews. It's not the pain of her sister Betsy and Corey dealing with Betsy's death. No, it's way at the end of the So you can consider this a spoiler alert. 
but it refers to the part about reconciliation. So I'm going to read just a little bit from Corey Tenboom and The Hiding Place and are discussing the time after the war. Quoting, I continued to speak, partly because the home in Blumendahl ran on contributions, partly because the hunger for Betsy's story seemed to increase with time. I traveled all over Holland, to other parts of Europe, to the United States. But the place where the hunger was greatest was Germany. Germany was a land in ruins. Cities of ash and rubble, but more terrifying still, mines and hearts of ashes. Just across the border was the field of great weight that hung over that land. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumendahl about the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness, any more than on our goodness, that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. It took a lot of love. That is Corey Tenboom from The Hiding Place. I'd like to take a moment to compare how her response strikes me as being particularly motherly. And I'm going to do so with a terrible stereotype that I perhaps should apologize for in advance. When we think about fathers in this kind of situation, we tend to regard fathers as being of a sort that would come in there and solve the problem, that would exact revenge, or that at the very least would make sure that this can never happen again. This notion of reconciliation strikes me as being considerably more motherly. It requires not just some, you know, retrospection, but also some circumspection and the ability to say, hey, you know what, I am going to trust and go against what I may want to do, what my instincts may drive me to do, I'm going to do so for the good of the children. Somewhere along the way, Corey Tenboom made a decision that the people of Germany, not the Nazis, but the people of Germany, were every bit as worthy of being treated by her as her children, as offspring of this horrible conflict, as her friends and uh, perhaps adopted family back in the Netherlands. So it is for that reason that on this particular Mother's Day, it seems appropriate enough to call out a woman who had no children, our different drummer, 
Corey Tenboom. Thank you for listening to this inappropriate conversation. If you'd like to put some dialogue into this conversation yourself, the website has comments enabled at inappropriateconversations.podbean.com. No www there, just straight up inappropriateconversations.podbean.com. I can be reached at ic underscore greg at hotmail.com. But rather than saying something to me on this particular day, it might be the perfect opportunity to say something to your mother. This is true, of course, if you're living in America, where the United States has set aside this particular weekend for Mother's Day. But truthfully, is it really a bad weekend to make that phone call? Thanks for listening.